This is Brian Paris for Inside Berkeley. In this episode, I had the great pleasure of talking with the musician, producer, technologist, and entrepreneur, Todd Rundgren, who gave the keynote address at this year's commencement proceedings, where he was also given an honorary doctorate. Musically, Rundgren has forged his own musical path for over four decades. He's topped the charts with hit songs such as Hello, It's Me and the arena anthem Bang the Drum All Day, and has also plumbed the depths of sonic experimentalism from heady concept records to interactive video components. As a producer, his long list of artists range from Meatloaf and Ecstasy to Patti Smith and Grand Funk Railroad. I caught up with Rundgren over the phone while he was currently on tour supporting his new album, White Knight. Well, Todd Rundgren, welcome to Inside Berkeley. Thank you. First, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to talk. I know that you're in the middle of promoting your newest record, White Knight. Uh, how's the tour going? Uh, it's going pretty good from uh, from the standpoint of the shows. Um, we've got a production that's sometimes hard to shoehorn into some of these venues, so uh, it, we have to be we have to stay adaptable in that sense. But uh, otherwise, musically. Um, I feel pretty good about it. Well, it's been a, a busy couple of weeks for you. What with the new record, uh, your first commencement address, and the honorary doctorate. Um, regarding your experience uh, at Berkeley, are there any highlights or moments that have stuck with you since uh, commencement? You know, it, as much as the the faculty and the student body actually are the you know the soul of the school, it was you know a very uh, very intense. Uh, two days for me, you know, first the, uh, the performance and all of the, the, the aspects of that, you know, which I wasn't expecting, you know, you hear of Berkeley yeah. and you, and you think just music, but you don't realize that it's all, there's dance program, there's production programs. And the fact that, you know, that show was put on pr- principally by all the students in the school without necessarily having to go outside for anything. Uh, I was really impressed with that. You know, that's kind of, I guess you get a more holistic education out of it because you're somewhat familiar with everything that goes into something like that. And then the, uh, and then the ceremony itself, you know, it's always, um, you know, the, the commencement ceremony. Uh, it's always great to see these people starting out in life with so much, kind of optimism and stuff. But I was actually um, petrified for most of it because it was the first time <laughs> I'd, I'd ever delivered a commencement speech before. And uh, I have no problem speaking, but there was just something different about, you know, that kind of transition. All the work that people have put into, you know, to, in, into graduating and then all of the possibilities of what happens afterwards. It's just a gigantic transition point for them. I actually wondered about one particular moment. I'd actually like to cue it up. Um, the moment where you announced to uh, all the students and, and everyone in the auditorium that you, you still don't formally read music. Um, so let's take a listen to that right now. I, uh, I barely, as Lucinda, I barely graduated high school. I did not go to college. I did not qualify for a music school of the caliber of Berkeley. I would, never would have passed the audition. And um, to this day, I don't know how to read music. 
All right. So I, I wondered what was going through your mind uh, in that. Were you, were you expecting applause? I was, I was surprised. Um, I was surprised to learn that um, even as you develop the skill to, um, to read and, and possibly transcribe music, that it seemed apparent that people would rather just, you know, play from their, you know, play from the inside. Um, I know that certain things aren't possible unless, unless people can read the music. I do gigs with, you know, full orchestras and, you know, and we get like maybe a run through in the afternoon and then have to do a whole presentation. So it's always remarkable to me how, how you can take all of these players and, and, and unify them behind a single musical idea. And none of that would be possible unless they could read. So I think there was a realization of that probably in the audience that they, um, that there's a certain joy in just, you know, playing it from the inside out and not having to depend on that, uh, on those cues. Yeah, definitely. This, the sort of soul of it definitely seemed to come through and, and your, your body of work certainly speaks to that, uh, certain path too. And actually to talk a little bit about your career, um, your career spent more than four decades and your your career has been so diverse. You've been on all sides of the music industry from creator to entrepreneur. I wondered if you could speak a little bit about the value of, of versatility and how that's informed your path. Well, you don't always get the job that you want. Um, but it doesn't mean you refuse to do anything. Um, I think I mentioned in my speech, there were points in my life when, you know, I was, I had to do something besides music, uh, or I would essentially starve to death. Hmm. And, um, you have to have that sort of willingness to sometimes to do the gigs that, that aren't so glamorous in order to survive. I've always thought that it was better to have a day job, no matter how boring it was, just to give you the freedom to do your own thing, you know, to relieve hmm. the financial burden of, of, doing what you really feel like doing. And um, the fact that I've gotten into these other sort of areas was almost a product of that. And it wasn't until I got out of high school that I realized, you know, I, the way that my brain works, I can't concentrate on one thing for too long. I have to have three things going on at once. And just kind of like, like juggling, you know, each one of them gets a little bit of mind share. But that's the only way that I can do it, because otherwise I get indignant about the one thing that demands my attention. <laughs> that's great. And that actually flows beautifully into my next question, which I wanted to reference. Uh, in your commencement address, you mentioned uh, your 1973 record, A Wizard, A True Star, and how that was a, a big risk um, that at the time seemed like, you know, critically wasn't you know, the right move or the right follow-up, but it's something that you had to do. And it's since gone on to be a major influence for, you know, everyone from Trent Reznor to, you know, Tame Impala and Hot Chip. Um, but, you know, elsewhere in your career, you've done everything from interactive video content to bossa nova covers of your own tunes. And so I wonder if you could speak a little more just about like kind of that spark that drives you to take those risks and make such unexpected turns. Well, it was the you know the freedom that production had brought me. 
I felt like if I didn't do that, I would be wasting time. The worst thing you can do is just simply be a simulacrum of somebody else. Um, that you are repeating someone else's work just simply for the sake of making a living at it. Uh, and so, and even worse for me is repeating my own work. It's doing something and then thinking, okay, I'll just do a variation on that for the rest of my career and, and leave the rest of the, of the universe of music unexplored. And I just, I enjoy, I enjoy the idea of music and I enjoy the experience of a whole lot of different kinds of music. I can listen to music that people that people run away screaming from, you know, like Melt Banana or something like that, and actually hear what's going on, what's musically going on in there. Um, it's not that I necessarily want to listen to it over and over again, but if I do pay attention to it, I'm always learning something, and it's important for me to. Um, to be able to have that, you know, arsenal of ideas because that helps me keep from repeating myself. And that, you know, that certainly speaks to kind of just the nature of such a robust career. And, you know, while you're still on, on the road, you know, promoting new records and, and new projects. Um, I, I wondered if you had any thoughts on kind of, you know, what differences in the current industry are uh, that, that maybe you've noticed that it, maybe if you were starting out in 2017, uh, what you think would be different or the same? Well, it used to be that um, you, the, the record labels were essentially the gatekeepers to the public at large. And the record producer was the gatekeeper to the studio. And so I made a, a, a terrific living as a gatekeeper to the studio. Uh, an act couldn't get a record made unless they had a producer because the producer would make sure that the act was actually productive, but also that they didn't you know, break the bank in the process because they were just fumbling around, didn't know what they were doing and just spending money and not producing anything. So what sort of changed is I no longer have a career as a producer because I'm no longer the gatekeeper to the studio. The studio is your laptop now. And, and my studio is my laptop. You know, I recognize that you know, this has benefited me and it's benefited everyone else as well. The fact that technology has brought the cost of making music, making recorded music down to practically nothing. And, the only limitation now is essentially your your creativity, originality, uh, your skill set, um, and you don't no longer have to deal with the gatekeepers anymore. You don't have to deal with me deciding whether you're worthy enough to go into the studio and make a record, uh, nor a record label deciding whether your music is worthy enough to bring to the public. You've got YouTube and uh, and other, you know, Spotify and all these other ways to get your music uh, distributed. And so it's really just between you and the people who listen to your own music. Yeah, and that, that connects to, you know, other things you've said about being versatile and, and just like, you know, not having just the one idea for what you want your job to be. And, and at Berkeley, there's a lot of emphasis on the idea of musicians um, being natural entrepreneurs. Um, and as an entrepreneur yourself, 
what connections do you see between your drive to create music and then your drive to create another project or something else that you've initiated? Well, I started taking music, you know, more seriously, as I said, around, um, around the Wizard of True Star as a means for me to kind of more truly express my ideas as, as they were different from other people's ideas. And also to kind of uh, expose myself and, and that uh, objectivization, make changes to myself. You know, not necessarily musical changes, changes in the way that I saw the world, habits to break and, those, and, and new habits to, to develop and that sort of thing. So music was more than simply a product to me. It, was, it truly was a means of self-exploration. And that sort of continues to this day. Once you do that, you realize, you know, you've got a message, you represent something. And that thing can be represented in a variety of ways. It doesn't have to simply be musically. It can be, you know, theatrically. You can write a book about it. You could, um, you make a video that kind of, uh, not necessarily alters, but magnifies or, or explores the meaning of the song in a way that isn't as obvious if you only listen to the song. So I've always had an interest in these other media as ways to expand upon the message that's in the music. That's really cool. I love that holistic approach um, that, you, that you take there. Um, and it reminds me, again, that sort of self-exploration theme and also something else that you mentioned in your commencement address, and, and we can conclude with this, um, that you said after high school that you learned to learn and that you you wish the same for the class of 2017 and probably for a lot more than that. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's an example of something that you're learning right now? Oh, let me see now. I'm learning, I'm learning a lot about how our government works. And so I've discovered that I'm learning a lot, not necessarily about politics, but about, you know, the underlying structure, you know, that our politics is hanging on. And I think a lot of people are doing that. That's why Hamilton was such a big hit on Broadway. It wasn't simply because it was a quirky take on history. It's actually the audience learns about history in the process of being entertained. And that's probably like the ultimate in entertainment. You know, don't just you don't just enjoy it, you know, for the you know the the feeling that it gives you. It leaves something in your head that you take away and that continues to fester in there, you know, and that drives you maybe to want to explore something more, or to you know just even possibly to you know to spark some change in yourself or some change in the way that you think. And that ultimately, I guess, is supposed to be the definition of art. When, when entertainment crosses the line and becomes art, that's when it sticks with you and, and you can't stop thinking about it. It makes you change the way you see the world. I love that. I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, great, that's a great place to take us out on um, and something that just kind of speaks cool. to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again for, for making the time for this and, and best of luck on the rest of the tour and, uh, and building that body of work uh, as it goes on. <laughs> Thank <right>. you. <laughs> thanks so much, All Todd. Right, talk to you later.
All right. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Yep. This episode was engineered by Tony Brown in partnership with The Burn. I'm Brian Paris, and this is Inside Berkeley.